can sit there, sweetie, because and grandpa's going to sit there. And it's just summaries of all the stuff they read every day. It's crazy, man. Well, they say whenever you start teaching, you retain so much more. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. And even just uh, getting to that level of digesting it, you know, to a point that a kid could understand that, yeah. Yeah, it's a whole other level of understanding. Yeah. That's cool. You get all that in the Kabbalah uh, that is from a website, a different website, but the Chabad website has the other stuff back. I can send you that link to that other one, yeah. Well, the nice thing is, by October, 
Please, on page 13 in our family Zimmerot book. Who knows what Zimmerot means? Songs. Thank you, Sophia. Way to go. Go ahead, sir. No, 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 please stand so we can hear you well. Song of Ascent, when Adonai will return the captivity of Zion, you will be like dreamers. Then her mouth will be filled with laughter and her tongue with glad song. Then they will declare among the nations, Adonai has done greatly with these, Adonai has done greatly with us. We were glad in it. O oh, Adonai, return our captivity like the spring to the desert. Those who, cheer, those who tearfully sow will reap in glad song. He who bears the measure of seeds walks along weeping, but will return exulting, will return in, in exultation a bear of his, of his sheaves. Thank you, Josiah. May we mount to clear the praise of Adonai, may all flesh bless his holy name forever. We will bless God for this time and forever. Hallelujah. Give thanks to Adonai for his good, his kindness endures forever. Who can express the mighty acts of Adonai? Who can declare all his praise? Behold, we are prepared and ready to perform the positive commandment of Berkat Hamazon. For it is said, you shall eat and you shall be satisfied, and you shall bless Adonai your God for the good land which he gave you. Gentlemen, let us bless. Blessed be the name of Adonai from this time and forever. Blessed be the name of Adonai from this time and forever. With the permission of the distinguished people present, let us bless he of whose we have eaten. Blessed is he of whose we have eaten and through whose goodness we live. Who not in the
Amen. Well done. I just that's that's amazing. Very nice. Very nice. Thank very you. nice. And taught his wife to do it too. Nicely done. And that's not surprising to me at all. Not surprising. Aaron doesn't know it yet, so don't be too impressed. Okay. Well, we have to work on it. All right, uh, Micah, would you stand and give us the uh, the next one, please? No, uh, no parenthetical statements now. Have mercy on an eye of God and this time we people in Jerusalem, in the city of Zion, the resting place of the Lord. On the monarchy of the house of David to anointed, and on the day that holy house upon which your name is called, our God, our fathers, hid us, nourish us, sustain us, support us, relieve us, and an eye of God grant us speedily, speedy relief from all our troubles. Please make us not needful, and an eye of God for the gifts of human hands, nor of our arms, but only of the hand that is of your hand that is full, open, holy, and generous, uh, and generous, do we not feel any shame or be humiliated forever and ever? First paragraph in the pink, please. May I please, Lord, and I, O God, give us rest through your commandments, and through the commandments of the seventh day, this great and holy spot, for this day is great and holy, before you to rest on it and be content on it and rest. As you are doing by your will, may it be your will, Lord, and I, O God, that, you be, that there will be no dis that there will be no distress, grief, or lament on this day of contentment, and show us that an eye of God, the consolation of Zion, your city, and the rebuilding of Jerusalem, city of your holiness. For you are the master of salvations and master of consolations. Bottom of the page. We go to Jerusalem, the holy city, soon in our days. We bless you, the night, and we go to Jerusalem. Amen. Thank you. Feel, uh, feel free next time to breathe. It's okay, really. You can take, take a breath there. Yeah. Jonathan, would you give us the next one, please, sir? Bless for you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, the Almighty, our Father, our King, our Sovereign, our Creator, our Redeemer, our Maker, our Holy One, Holy One of Yahweh, our Shepherd, the Shepherd of Israel, the King who is good and who does good for all. For every single day he did good, he does good, and he will do good to us. He was bountiful with us, he is bountiful with us, he will forever be bountiful with us, with grace and with kindness and with mercy, with relief, salvation, success, blessing, help, consolation, sustenance, support, mercy, life, peace, and all good. And of all good things, may he never deprive us. Well done. Continue, sir. The compassionate one. May he reign over us forever. The compassionate one. 
May he bless in heaven and on earth. May he be praised throughout all generations, and may he be glorified for us forever to all the ends, and be honored through us forever and for all eternity. May he sustain us in honor. May he break the yoke of oppression from our necks and guide us erect to our land. May he send us a pleasant blessings in this house and help us stay May he send us a light to the property is remembered for good to proclaim to us good tidings, salvations, and consolations. May it be God's will that this host not be shamed or humiliated in this world or in the world to come. May he be successful in all his dealings, and may his dealings be successful and conveniently close at hand. May no evil impediment reign over his handiwork, and may his own the same or any of his thought attach itself to him from this time and forever. May he bless the master of this house, the lady of this house, in their house, their family, and all that is theirs. The compassionate one, may he bless me, my wife, my children, my grandchildren, and all that is mine. Ours and all that is ours, just as our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were blessed in everything, from everything, with everything. So may he bless us all together with a perfect blessing. And let us say, Amen. Joshua, would you give us the next? On high, McNair equated upon them and upon us for a safeguard of peace. May we receive a blessing from Adonai and just kindness from the God of our salvation. Upon favor and good understanding in the eyes of God and man. First paragraph in the pink. The compassionate one. May he cause us to inherit the day that we completely establish the rest day for eternal life. The compassionate one. May he make us worthy of the days of Messiah Yeshua and the light of the world to come. He who is a tower of salvation to his king and his kindness for his anointed to David and to his descendants forever. He who make peace in his heights, may he make peace upon us and upon all Israel. Now we respond. Amen. Let's see. Uh... Oh, there's some gray hair over there. Scott. Fear I do not, you as holy ones, for there is no deprivation for his reverent ones. Young lions may want and hunger, but those who seek Adonai will not lack any good. Give thanks to Adonai, for his good, his kindness endures forever. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Blessed is the man who trusts in Adonai, then Adonai will be his security. I was a youth and also of age, and I have not seen a righteous man forsaken, with his children begging for bread. Adonai will give light to his people. Adonai will bless his people with peace. Amen. Thank you, everyone. If you pass your books towards Judah, Micah will go ahead and uh, put eight in a box and uh, make the magic happen. appetite if you've not read or are not reading the Sabbath. One paragraph out of this fabulous book specifically from my friend Jonathan. Labor is a craft, but perfect rest is an art. It's the result of an accord of body, mind, and imagination. To attain a degree of excellence in art, one must accept its discipline. One must abjure slothfulness. The seventh day is a palace in time, which we build. It's made of soul, of joy, and reticence. 
In its atmosphere, a discipline is a reminder of adjacency, adjacency to eternity. Indeed, the splendor of the day is expressed in terms of abstentions, just as the mystery of God is more adequately conveyed via negations in the categories of negative theology, which claims that we can never say what he is. We can only say what he is not. We often feel how poor the edifice would be were it built exclusively of our rituals and deeds, which are so awkward and often so obtrusive. How else express glory in the presence of eternity if not by the silence of abstaining from noisy acts? These restrictions utter songs to those who know how to stay at palace with the queen. Cool stuff. I tell you, it's cool stuff. All right, so we uh, we discussed that it is the day before Live Omer. Uh, for those of you who are not aware, um, the Sephard communities celebrate Live Omer normally on the day after the 33rd. They do it on the 34th day, which would be the 18th of ER instead of the 17th, because they believe. Uh, and I think we probably agree that the 18th of ER is when the manna first fell from heaven. And uh, just so you know, calendar-wise, we always do Amor, which uh, Joshua will bring us through discussing-wise in a minute. Always read it in the month of ER. Always. By definition. So, um, whether you're quiet celebration of uh, Lagba Omer is on tomorrow, the first day of the week, or commemorates the giving of the manna on the second day of the week, uh, this week, fine. But uh, it is, I think, important for us to recognize that the traditions that are there help us to teach our kids, help us to teach our friends and family. And uh, I think with Lagba Omer, there's so many things to grab onto. We just need to pick. What do we want to focus on this year? And uh, I think my focus this year is to study the life and times of Yochanan Bar 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 The guy that was smuggled out of Jerusalem when it was being sieged just before it was destroyed in 70 of the Common Era. And they either in a coffin or on a stretcher as a dead man, brought him out as dead. And uh, he's the one that went uh, to the next Caesar and addressed him as Caesar. And was questioned as to why he was doing that, just as the writer wrote up to make it clear that he had just been declared Caesar. It was because of this that he was given the opportunity to preserve the Sanhedrin in the little town of Yavne. And uh, from there, the uh, Babylonian, the uh, Jerusalem Talmud, uh, was discussed and uh, good stuff came of his his stuff. Um, the the idea is that uh, one of the traditions in Israel is that young boys and girls will go outside and play with bows and arrows. And they have two reasons for this tradition. One is that um, God put the bow in the sky after the flood in Noah's day. And whenever the world was worthy of destruction, he would put his bow in the sky to remind himself of Noah and the fact that he promised he would never do that by water again. And these kids played with bows and arrows because 
in the days of Yochanan ben Zakkai, there was never a rainbow because by his merit, his righteousness, the world could not be destroyed. But when he died, his yard site is Lagva Omer, um, we needed rainbows again. Could be. Mm -hmm. The other side of that story is that they go out there with bows and arrows because of the fighting that was going on with the Romans and the fight continues even to this day. And uh, I guess even if you like a picture of a pistol on Instagram, you can be now suspended from public school. That happened mm -hmm. just this week. Public school. Mm -hmm. Seven-year-old, right? Six-year-old, seven-year-old, something like that. It wasn't your photo, Seventh grade. Was it? No, it wasn't mine. <laughs> okay. It actually turned out to be a BB gun, so the kid was reinstated. Seventh grade, that's what it was. And he was reinstated. If it was a real gun, he would have been suspended for a week. They do know what small children sometimes do with BB guns, right? Not a whole lot of them. Not yeah, killing things. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Blow out their eyes, do all kinds of stuff, yeah. take over the world. So. If I remember correctly, too, it's uh, the whole point of the, the bonfire on Logba Omer yeah. um, is that it was a commemoration and a memorial of the way that Shimon Bar Yochai died, died yeah. which was really a crazy moment. It was, he kind of knew when he was going to die and they, all of his disciples were in, in this house and they were studying and like the, it was a really great moment of, of study and they had all kinds of great stuff and then all of a sudden there was just like this fire that broke out and um, basically the whole house, including him, was just consumed in, in like a heavenly fire almost, and that was how he died. Yeah. Uh, and so all the, the disciples just kind of remember him because of that. Yeah, uh, yeah he, uh, he had been teaching them that a, a righteous man knows when his work on the earth is done, and he knew, and uh, got his affairs in order, and uh, he had promised another righteous man that he would lead him to his place in the Garden of Eden. And since he knew that day that he would be going, he asked one of his disciples to go get that man and tell him of his great joy that he would be in the presence of the Creator that day with him in the Garden of Eden, and that he should put his affairs in order and come and sit and listen to him teach. And it was while they were teaching that the disciples had to run out of the place because it was burning up. And Shekinah, Consume. It's very cool. I mean, it's great stories about this man. He's a very righteous man. So um, if you got nothing to do and nothing to read, other than the Sabbath book by, uh, yeah, did I mention that? Um, yeah, he's a great, great guy. Yes, ma'am. Just going to mention we're counting up towards Shavuot. Yes. And definitely going to be Shavuot party at the Spurlock Twos. The younger Spurlock family. Mm -hmm. I can't wait. Yes. yes. And in fact, that's on a. Tuesday, Tuesday evening, yes. so uh, the men of, uh, men of Torah will be meeting at their house. And, uh, there will be study and there will be females also. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, we, uh, we, are, we are sending out invitations later. We've got some discussion questions to sort of whet everybody's appetite. Sounds like an amazing We're very excited. Yes. So. Yes. And very Christian friendly. Yeah, it's a bridge event. Oh, bridge, bridge event. Bridge yeah. event. Yeah. Um, it's great. Bring your own friends. Bring your own friends. <laughs> Bring your own friends. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you're in Lexington. Um, we have... I got a truck. I can just throw That works, man. Yeah. Yeah. Bring it. Bring it. Bring it. Um, Alan uh, made up a set of questions, four or five questions, one year, about what I guess is yeah. eight or nine years ago now. Uh, and there was a good number of 
Torah sensitive, Torah dismissive folks here. And uh, there was some amazing arguments. Um, if I recall correctly, I, I stepped down from being moderator that night and asked Scott to moderate so I could participate in the, uh, <laughs> in the argumentation. And uh, a good friend of ours, uh, Rick uh, Nutsperl, actually uh, argued one of Alan's questions was what changed at the cross? So I stood up and said nothing. And he stood up and said everything. And by the end of the night, he became Torah submissive and started a community in his home. And it was an amazing thing. So Good debate. Yeah, it was All good. All Switcherinis love debate. We all did. Ours would probably be a little less intense. Oh, oh yeah. It takes that turn. I'll blame you. Yeah, that's right. um, but, uh, but, the, uh, but the idea being, we, uh, we came up with some list of questions we thought would be interesting to get perspectives from both sides of the aisle. And, uh, well, Joshua, maybe, maybe some of the folks here don't know the normal um, tradition for Shavuot. Oh, well, of course, the reason for this is that traditionally, um, Shavuot being the giving of the Torah, um, uh, is traditionally the giving of the Torah. They base this off the dates provided in the book of Exodus. And so um, Shavuot is also then, uh, as we're counting the Yom, we're counting up to the giving of the Torah because we're anticipating the giving of the Torah. And then the night of, of Shavuot, traditionally, you'd stay up as late as you can. Orthodox Jews will stay up all night long studying. Um, uh, with you know, and, and in Israel, they do have some breaks, you know, listen to music or whatever else, but they, the goal is to stay studying basically the whole night and because you're so excited, you can't wait for the giving of the Torah. And it's based on the idea that when, um, I, think, I think it was the, when they first gave the Torah, there was a tradition that the, the Jews fell asleep. They were, they were geared up for it, they were ready for it, but they, they fell asleep. And so this was an effort to sort of tacoon for that, make a, make a repentance, a repair for that by showing our exuberance and excitement about the Torah by staying up all night. It would be at my house. The door does lock automatically, the little button as you leave. So if you want to stay up all night, you're more than welcome to. We will not be serving breakfast, so that's on you. But um, but the plan is to, to meet at our home. We're going to send an invitation later this evening. Um, to get together in the evening, kind of dessert, and just sort of uh, study the Torah together and talk about uh, biblical things and biblical questions. Tradition is also to read the Book of Ruth, which we'll probably also do. And like I said, the goal would be to make it um, at least initially friendly to uh, non-Torah people if they want to come. Um, if they don't, we can get to talk about the really exciting things. Um, but uh, and then um, for those who want to stick around later, longer, whatever, we can dig into more deeper topics or whatever else. But we wanted to just kind of give this as an opportunity to do that. I uh, I tell my non-Torah people friends um, that we're celebrating the giving of the Torah, and we're also celebrating about the. Outpouring of the Spirit. The outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost uh, to uh, the disciples of the Master. It's a Pentecost party. It's a Pentecost, Pentecost. party. Yeah. And we'll read the book of Ruth since the whole idea eventually was that everyone recognized that Gentiles were welcome in the household of faith without any unnecessary additives. So and it happened at this time. Same yeah, Ruth is, is the story of Ruth is based around. It, star, it starts, I believe, around this okay. time. Of the year. Yeah, it's it's the whole holiday season, uh, um, best, uh, harvesting season. harvest time. So it starts here with the um, first harvest wheat 
It ends with the barley or it starts with the barley and ends with the wheat. It's Something alphabetical, like right? It starts with the barley and ends with the wheat harvest. So um, it's good stuff. And, and I'm, I'm grateful that you're opening the home for that. God will bless you, of course. And, and just to make it clear, the, um, the discussion topics, I think, will be enlightening to everyone. It's not intended to just be an education time. It's really going to be a time to it's not an infernal, you know, hot debate. Well, although I'm, you know, know why you're looking at me? Why are you looking at me? Well, and also Joshua will be moderating. So. Uh, yes, it will be. Um, but no, the idea was actually more to get like just to talk openly about. What's the questions asked? You can study and prepare. Yes, yeah, yeah. those questions will be. Anyway, so um, one of the things we're also doing this time of year, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, we are reading the Perkei of both the Ethics of the Fathers. So we'll probably wrap up our discussion a little early again, so that we can read Chapter Three. I feel like we're out of time for the portion. Yeah, I think we're going to go straight over to the Perkei Avot here. I think we're good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have to keep you on your toes. Well, you know, it's gullible. We're written on the ceiling. Um, yes, so we'll. Um, I'll keep track of the time so that we can we can try to have some time to read that at the end. Um, but uh, this week is Parshat Emor, which is to say, um, and it's really all about the priesthood and, and getting ready for uh, most of it, except for the very ending, um, and getting ready for uh, what it means to serve God. And uh, one of the things is the importance of doing, uh, there are certain things that have to be perfect, they have to be just right. So, which kind of reminds me of cooking. <laughs> Sophia, do you ever cook with your mom? Do you ever help your mom cook? No. Not yet? <laughs> do you watch your mom cook sometimes? Yeah, Maybe a little yes. bit? A little bit, yes. Yeah. It, it takes a lot of work to cook, doesn't it? <laughs> and you have to have just the right things. What's your favorite thing your mom cooks? Something you like a lot. Cheese pasta. Oh well, that's super exciting. But you've got to have, you've got to have, and the bet, and the better the ingredients, the better quality it is, the better you enjoy it. Um, reminds me, when we were, we were, we were watching. Um, sometimes it can be the less expensive, still is the best, but it has to be the best. Um, the um, I remember when we were, uh, we were watching a cooking show recently, and they had a, they had a time where they had to go and buy their own ingredients, and they had to prepare the meal, and then they, the judges would judge them. And this one woman, she, she found the right thing, she made everything, and, and she brought the meal to the judge, and the judge tried it, and he looked at her and he said, now, was it the quality of the ingredients that was lacking, or was it the quality of the cook? Ooh. And the point that he was trying to get at is the food didn't taste good. Now, was it your fault for not cooking well, or was it your fault for not buying the right thing? Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, she, she looked at it, she, you know, she said, well, it was the, the ingredients weren't as good as I wanted to, but once I had bought them and brought them back to cook, I, there was no time to get new ones, so I was stuck. The point of this, the reason why I mention this, is that um, some things have to be perfect, and really it doesn't matter whose fault it is, quote-unquote, was it circumstance, was it something you did wrong? If it's not, the, the end result is what matters. And uh, in, the, in this week's Torah portion, God makes it very clear that there are certain types of sacrifices that are absolutely have to be perfect. I mean, all the sacrifices. You can't come and bring a, a bad animal. Um, you can't come and bring an animal that's sick or an animal that's got a broken leg or one leg shorter than the other. I mean, really, kind of reading through this, you can kind of imagine almost like this little, you know, uh, Picasso lineup of these weird-looking <laughs> little animals with the one eyebrow that's too long and, you know, whatever else. And, um, and the idea being that the... Uh, that the God is worthy of the best. He is worthy of perfection, and so it has to be perfect. And, um, and we understand that. There are things in our lives that have to be perfect. You know, you, you um, uh, may not, you, you know, sometimes in our, I feel like in our culture, 
we're so inclined to want to give people second chances or anybody can do it and whatever else. And that sometimes is true. But there are certain things that have to be perfect. Certain things that have to be done by the perfect person and they have to be done perfectly. And the temple was one of those things. It had to be perfect. You may not care whether or not uh, the person who is uh, making your coffee does it 100% perfectly, or you may, but you might care very much whether or not the person building the airplane you're flying in does it perfectly. You know, there are some things that have to be perfect. And, and God extends this even to the, to the priesthood themselves. The priests had to be healthy and in good shape and able to handle um, the offerings, and even they had to be um, physically perfect. And I think that sometimes, for me at least, in our culture today, it makes us a little bit uncomfortable. You know, we believe that people should be able to do anything. And in some ways, that can be true. But even in our culture today, we recognize there are some things, I mean, you know, I remember back in the day, there was the, people used to watch these singing TV shows, you know, the competitions, American Idol, whatever else. Some people were there to watch the really, really good ones at the very end. A lot of people were there to watch the really bad ones at the beginning because it was kind of funny to watch these people try to sing but really couldn't sing. And the point is not to say, not to make fun of people, but the idea to say that like, not everybody can sing at that level. Now, everyone has, can have a beautiful voice. Everyone can make a joyful noise, all of that. But if you want to make an album, you want to be a pop musician, we're not all built that way. I am not built to play basketball. Now, I like playing basketball, but professionally was not, it was just completely out of the question immediately. I have, I have the wrong genetics in every possible way. I'm too short, too slow, I can't jump. These are all problems. And that's okay. And it's kind of the same way I feel like the priesthood. So there were certain priests, who or certain people in this genealogy, who were not built to be priests. And so God has a very clear delineation. These people, they can still eat the offering, or the, the food, they're still part of the, of the family of God. They have, I, I mean, and of course tradition holds that the Levites and whatnot were singing, so they had a role to play in the temple. But the, the priests who actually would offer the offerings, they had to be the top of the top of the top because some things require perfection. Um, I mean, feel free to jump in at any time. Um, but yeah, so I think that that's, it's interesting because of course they talk, they go through a long list of things that the priests can or can't do. Uh, which is also interesting because they um, uh, they have certain requirements that are that are elevated. They're that are higher than the rest of us. And uh, what reminds me of the book of James, if you remember, we were reading together. It says, "Do not uh, don't desire to be many teachers." Um, and the reason is because teachers are judged more strictly. Uh, and I feel like the same thing is kind of going with the priesthood here. You know, God has like He's got His standard for everybody else, um, and then there's actually even a little bit higher standard with the priesthood. There's certain people they couldn't marry. There were certain uh, activities they couldn't do. Certain things, you know, we, we, we enjoy a good glass of wine, but you should definitely not be drinking wine before you're going to serve in the temple. You know, there were these extra rules because God has, he has them in a very prestigious and important place. So in the beginning uh, of this portion, it says, let no priest become ritually impure through contact with a dead person when there are others among his people who contend to the burial. <laughs> right, I like that in translation. It helps. Flesh it out. Um, in all my years uh, in, in the regular church, say, I never heard any reason in the parable of the Good Samaritan that the Master gives of why the priest 
that happen across this guy that had been beat up, why he would cross over to the other side of the road and not come near to help this guy. And invariably, um, I don't want to say through anti-Semitism or a disdain for God's people or anything like that or try to put any other um, explanation on the teaching that I received, um, I think it was strictly a, a lack of understanding of what was commanded to these priests, these, these ones that you just lifted up for, for a, a while there that needed to do things properly. They were commanded right here in this verse, 21 uh, verse 2, not to become ritually defiled for, for a body, for, for a dead person. Um, and the orthodox position, as I just read, is if there's someone else mm -hmm. who can take care of the body. Which is actually from the text. Yeah. Because it says, among his people. Right. So they read that as saying, among his people that can bury him. Right. So um, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, who really wasn't good at all, but... Um, Did a good thing. Right. Um, the priest should not be just completely maligned for leaving the guy there. Yeah. Because the presupposition, based on the wounds, based on what we hear, is that he was, dead. Is that he was probably dead. He had beaten, been beaten to near death. Which is why Yeshua's role at the time was so important because, and ultimately, when we talk about Yeshua and his teachings, I think it's one of the things that's really interesting to point out is that a lot of times his halakhic determinations became the standard for Judaism. So one of the things Yeshua emphasizes in his teachings is the, is the importance of mercy. That's right. That idea that you can have a standard that's strict and still be flexible to show mercy. And the mistake sometimes is to, it's easy, it's this easy way out, ironically enough, to just be strict, to never, ever give any leeway to take care of people because people are more complicated than that's that right. in their times. So this is an example where Yeshua's approach is... In certain emergency, dire situations, even the priest can become unclean to bury this strange man who no one's there to take care of. And Judaism eventually agrees with Yeshua. Exactly right. They and, take the same approach. And it's their normative view today. Right. No question. And, and nef nefesh is... Right. To save a life is always the most important. But in this case, the guy's dead. And yet they still would say, because burying a body is one of the highest... In fact, they say, I think it's the highest it's form of love because they can't repay you. The person's dead. Right. Anyway, so the, it's really a beautiful thing to see um, how Judaism says that in this case, we're talking, I mean, this is, it says specifically, the guy's sister gets married, passes away. He cannot touch that body. He cannot be a part of that burial right. because his, his whole, he's too holy. And yet, if the same guy were to pass a complete stranger dead on the side of the road for some reason, he could personally put him in the ground to honor and take and provide That's for exactly. him. Because showing that level of compassion is, is godly. And what you've, you've mentioned a few times in our community is the reason that the second temple was destroyed was this, this, this lack of love for one another, this, this, this hatred that was uncalled for. And in the Master's Day, telling that story about the Samaritan, the half-breed, mm -hmm. was not so much... To, to, to put down anyone, but to say, hang on, the Torah is summed up in loving God 
and loving your neighbor right. as yourself. And even though right here we have this command, love trumps it all, and, and we should do that. So right. um, in, our, in our opening of Bella Torah, years ago, we said we were coming together for two reasons and two reasons only. One, we were going to pray whether anybody showed up or not. And two, we wanted to see the master on every page. It's hard not to see the master in the stories he told right here from this one. And it just, it makes you want to live out the scriptures and, and, and not put it down and say, well, see, the master is teaching that this should be disregarded. Right. Just the opposite. Right, and that's I think that's the beauty of it is seeing it like and actually, like I've talked to before, so oftentimes um, theologians in an effort to explain something, they take the easy way out. I was using that phrase again, taking the easy way out because it's like, well, we just dismiss this or Yeshua's dismissing this or whatever, and they're missing the beauty of it. Judaism looks at three words here, which I don't even know if that's three words in the Hebrew. It's probably just one. But yeah, it's just one. Ba'imah. Um, the idea being among his people to specifically find to work to find how to show compassion how do I f make an effort to care about my, the person around me more and it's the same idea in capital punishment in capital punishment Judaism they would, they would strive to avoid that by okay, are the witnesses really honest do they really see what they thought they saw do they agree with each other? And they would they would work very difficult. Is there maybe an exception to the rule that we need to figure out here? Is there a reason why this is not because because taking a life because showing that that final form of judgment was so serious they wanted to make the last resort. That's right. And Yeshua does the exact same thing. The woman caught in adultery. We get this. And so Yeshua's approach to the Torah was exactly this way: not to dismiss it, but rather let's help it become the best version of itself by 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 combining piety with compassion. If I could just to, to dovetail on that, it was right after the, the Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai thing that Janet read earlier today that the master comes on the scene. Judaism as a sect globally had rejected Hillel at this point and taken Shema. Hmm. And right. then the master comes on the scene and parallels Hillel 100% other than in divorce. And eventually, Judaism wised up and flipped. Right. Right. Very true. Yes, sir. Uh, so, yeah, so I was thinking about, like, the, the laws of the Kohen, the laws of the Kohen Gadol, like, this whole thing, and thinking, like, so why wasn't there, like, a separate book written for priests? Since none of this really applies to anyone but priests, right? Hmm. Like, why isn't there, like, a separate law book given specifically to priests? And I was thinking, like, it's sort of like the great respect I think a lot of us have for the military, like men that go into the military. I think a lot of the respect that we have for them comes from how much we know that mm. they have to go through in order to be mm. in the positions that they're in. And I think that is one explanation for why it's so important for us to know all of what's involved in being a priest, the amazing mm. sacrifices that they have to make, mm. the, the stringencies and the, the strictness of their lives, because it gives us huge amounts of respect mm. for the, the priests specifically, mm. just because we know like what they have to go through. Uh, and, and I think that is as part of, of why maybe that it was written to, and preserved for, mm. for everybody to read. Mm -hmm. so that when they when went we, to battle, the priests were out in front. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like well, it's interesting, and, and to, your, to your point, I think it also, not just to talk about priests, but also elevates God. Because this is what's required to serve God. God is so holy, God is so great, that even a righteous, godly people need extra righteous, godly, set-apart people. I mean, yeah. the, you see the word holy gets mentioned in here, that, they, that each one is holy to his God. This idea being that, like, out of a holy people, these are extra holy people. I mean, they are especially holy because of who God is and... Um, it reminds me there was we heard a story we were at this you know mansion small castle in uh, in Newport and the and the they had this guy they were writing an article um, about the the community and whatnot they were interviewing butlers this is like the beginning of the 20th century and this house actually ended up serving high tea properly with a fully fully staffed with the you know the the Downton Abbey you know every, mm-hmm. full livery and everything until the 1960s. Because they were very, very traditionalists. They believed in doing things the right way and whatnot. So, you know, 40, 40 50 years earlier, the, this newspaper article had been reading or, or, or writing about um, butlers. And they interviewed the butler of this home. And the butler had set out all of the, you know, the proper dinning, dinner for lunch. And it was lunchtime. And he was there in his proper lunch, you know, attire and whatnot. And the, the reporter went to take a picture of him with the, with the table setting. And he said, man, this isn't working for me. You know, we're trying to make how glamorous this is and how great this is. And your table's... Your table's kind of small, you know, it's got a lot of stuff on it right now. It's like, let's take some extra silver and just, you know, make, really, really deck mm-hmm. it out to the nines. And the butler looked at him and says, if I set the table for dinner, I will have to go and change clothes <laughs> to match the, the dinner table. Because what I'm wearing right now is, is only proper for lunch. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are ways that things have to be done. So, of course, there's a picture of him with the, with the lunch items out. <laughs> so the point, though, of the story is to say that he was so respectful of the home and of his master that to do something improper even if it seemed more glamorous was completely out of the question it wasn't even a thought that entered his mind and that i think that's the same i think that's to be the, what we get out of this this portion as well one of the things we get besides respect for the priesthood of course but also this respect for god like god must be so holy so tremendous so regal that he is worthy of this and that's what i was saying earlier like some things have to be perfect and i think that should be an inspiration for us like there's no excuse. You know, if you have a bad day, that doesn't mean you can treat the people around you poorly. It doesn't mean that you can skip prayers that morning or you can choose not to, uh, not to tell the truth because you're tired. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter. You have to, t- God, God is worthy of our perfection all the time. And, and I think this emphasizes that in this portion. Yes, sir. What's really cool about that too is be, that like that elevated level of holiness that they're on, somebody that's a slave actually has an opportunity to participate in that level of holiness because the mm-hmm. priest would have bought him for money. Right. Which sounds a little familiar, right? right. Bought with a price. And right. I think that is that's incredible that like you're absolutely right. I mean there's like this just incredible level of holiness that the priesthood's on. But getting to be a part of that is being that's a cool. part of the priest's family and being bought by the priest, which is just mirroring our, our relationship with Yeshua, that we were bought with a price and how much we get to participate because we're we're in his family mm-hmm. yeah that's very true i like that the parallel and how we're brought in and then we get to and, and that ties in so well we were just reading galatians in the tuesday night class and that's paul's argument basically he boils it down to because you're in messiah who's the ultimate jew you are part of the family of god and it's in that idea almost kind of like you're saying it's like you're part of his family therefore you're part of Israel. Because you're right, the slave wasn't necessarily a 
member of Aaron. I guess theoretically they could have, they could have been even a Gentile, hypothetically. But as long as they were bought with money, mm -hmm. they were part of the household, they got to experience, not obviously not serving as a priest, but they got to experience the food and other types mm -hmm. of things that were only set aside for the priest. Mm -hmm. um, that's very cool. That's very cool. It was interesting, too, that, like, I, I guess this was the first year that I saw how much overlap there was between the qualifications, or disqualifications, I should say, for a priest, and how much they mirror the disqualifications of, the of a sacrifice yeah, or of an offering. Right. I guess I'd never thought about that before, because I don't know if it's just reading them at different times or something like that, but that is really interesting, just Absolutely. paralleling the, the sacrifice there, because, the sac I mean, their, their lives are quite a sacrifice. The sacrifice and the sacrificer, and the parallel there is a beautiful picture of our master. Exactly. Who not only was the sacrificer, but the sacrifice. And everything that applied to him, aligned, applied to him as he was offered. Yeah. That's right. really beautiful. We need to see the master there. Yeah, like, right. Oh, yeah. Kind of has yeah. a living sacrifice element yeah. there, too. Right, right. But that's yeah. my point at the beginning of talking about it. Like, we get uncomfortable almost because, like, well, the priesthood has to be, like, physically perfect. And that. And it's like, no, in this case, the, phys the physical perfection mirrored the offerings. It was like, it wasn't to say that God was like, I'm not, I'm not as fond of those people with, you know, uh, you know, sideways eyebrows and, you know, some, some of the things in here. Um, some of them, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, were, were, were correctable. Some of them are, are permanent defects. Some of them are actually things, you, you broke a limb or, so it was like just an injury. Um, and, uh, and that idea is, um, so the point is that it's, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a prejudice. It's that God is perfect and holy and everything that in, was that close to him had to be complete as well. And if you think about it, if you look at the, the unclean and clean throughout the Torah, what you'll find is that oh, uh, with some exception, it's a pretty easy straight line from the unclean item or the, the less than complete perfect item to uh, a consequence of sin. It's a form of death. It's a form of the, things are broken in the world. And the temple had to be a place where there was a lot of death of the animals, of course, but aside from that, really, it's a place of perfection. It's a place that's supposed to mirror God's presence in the world, in the world beyond. I mean, it's supposed to be, it, it's not meant to be this world where things are broken and die and damaged and bad things happen. It's meant to be beyond that. It's like, you're talking about Shabbat, where we were praying, uh, the, uh, I think it was Micah was reading that one part, let no be no grief or lament on this day of our rest. The idea is that Shabbat is supposed to be a picture of the world to come. The temple and the tabernacle were supposed to be a picture of the world to come. So the priesthood had to be, had, had, to, had to be physically in, in a place where they were not reminders of the fact that the world is broken, but, rem, but a picture of what it could be. And that, again, is not a critique, because what we're trying to skip back is just that people have different roles. Just like I was saying earlier that I'm not made, built to play basketball. This doesn't mean that the uh, the people who run the National Basketball Association are particularly prejudiced against short white guys. Mm -hmm. It's just that they like it's that, that some role some positions require things that are built in. You can't necessarily be anything you want to be. That doesn't mean you can't you know find a passion and, and live it out. But they, it may not be specific to that. And so that was what this was. It's really not that different. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, I think it's, I, I was comforted to learn, you know, we've just, my dad's mentioned this probably before, there's been some genetic research, and possible that we have um, some Cohen blood, uh, maybe. Cool. Very cool. Um, 
it turns out that um, apparently I can see it's, your mother married to a priest. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, it's interesting. They mentioned I felt a little bit comforted by this because that kind of got me a little nervous. It's like there's a lot of rules here. What if I'm not, you know, like well, I felt bad. Now it's like okay, like well, what happens if like a friend passes away? Can I not go to their funeral? I mean, like how serious? And interestingly enough, Judaism actually interprets that some of these rules are specifically to pure blood Cohen, that, or those who are in the land. Well, maybe yes, but in this case specifically, the one that I read was that it was pure blood. Like you have to be able to trace your line straight down. You got you know a couple of uh, Polish women blending in, and there's you know, and then the son marry you know the, the 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 daughter ends up marrying the guy from you know is totally Gentile and whatever. Like we weren't even keeping Torah and have no idea that we even had the genetics in us. I'm thinking it's probably watered down to the point where that's not our that's not who we are, and that's and actually that that goes back to, to Greg's point. I think that emphasizes all the more how majestic it is to be a Cohen. Like, like for us, if we have the blood in us, that's great. And maybe Bizarat Hashem someday in the future, Israel will think that's cool too. But for right now, um, that's cool for us. But, but, but it actually cuts us out from certain things because it's not complete and pure. Today, if you go to Israel, there's a they'll do tours around the old city. But the old city, the valley around the old city, has graves in it. If you are an actual Cohen. You can't go on that tour because you can't touch the graves. Yeah. And they'll tell you right. before you go on the tour. Specifically because they want to preserve you, That's right. not only to keep the Torah, but also eventually someday to be a priest. The two things come to mind. First, uh, to that end, didn't the, uh, didn't the Muslims actually bury their dead and set up a cemetery right in front of one of the gates that Messiah yeah. is supposed to go through? Yeah, the golden gates. Yeah, because yeah, he won't go through there if there's buried... People. Right. Nice try. Um, yeah. Um, but if he resurrects them, it really it's okay. So anyways, um, uh, we we many of the men here know uh, one of the uh, Orthodox rabbis in town is is Rabbi Cohen. Right. And he is well, Cohen. Right. And uh, I didn't realize that. I mean, it just didn't click until I was talking about uh, my children with him one day and. And I mentioned that uh, the last three or four of them were born at uh, Mercy South, which has now got a different name, in, in uh, Pineville. And he goes, uh, this is the only hospital I can go in. I'm sorry, did you say it was the only hospital you could go in? He goes, the only one in town. Why? And he said, well, the, you know, we, we of course would love to go and visit those who have children in our community, but unless they're born there, I, I can't go visit the, the, the mom and the children. Why not, I said. He said, because that's the one hospital in town that has a physical door between the maternity center and the regular hospital, because all regular hospitals have a, mor a morgue in the basement. This one has a door between it, so I never have to come under a roof with a dead body. And then he's, he looks at me and he says, my name is Cohen. That means I'm a priest. Oh, you're kidding. Priest Cohen? Yeah. I know I'm a noob, but that's not much of a noob. But I didn't realize that every hospital's got a morgue. Priests are not, not allowed to go into a building that has a dead body. All, de all morgues have dead bodies, therefore, he can't go into any hospital in town, but he can go into the maternity center at Mercy South because of the door 
between the two. Well, and earlier we were talking about Shavuot. He's doing that today. Right. Well, it's the same. They earlier talked about Shavuot, and they stay up all night to express their excitement about the Torah and how they want to serve Hashem, um, and, want, and they're so excited about keeping it. And they want to demonstrate that by being awake all night long. Um, and I think that that excitement um, is visible in things like what you're describing. Yeah. You're talking about someone who, there's no temple. He has no uh, current and possibly no probable chance of, of serving, serving as a priest, as a priest. In the temple. but he takes the Torah so seriously because the Torah doesn't say, well, if the priest has a temple and has an opportunity to serve, or he if can't. He's outside the land. No, it just says, yeah. are you a descendant of Aaron? Right. Check. Mm-hmm. Are you are you a pure descendant of Aaron? Also check. Well, then these are the things you can't do. Mm-hmm. And the, he's taking them that seriously Absolutely. to keep the nuances of the Torah. And, the, and, the, and to Greg's point, he's talking about reading this. Why are we reading this? Um, Judaism says that when you read the offerings, study the offerings. It is as though you were giving them yourself, right. and an idea of that honor when you when you take the time to say this is God's word, and it's important and worth reading, even if I can't do it, maybe I can't ever do it, then that is a good thing. Amen. That kind of reminds me. I was just going to say that there's a lot of folks that would malign Jews for fill in the blank. It doesn't matter, right? <laughs> um, but quite frankly in the same seriousness that Rabbi Cohen takes his lineage and the commands of God. That's the only reason we as non-Jews have a Bible that we can lay in our lap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because they took seriously the fact that they were, as Paul marks out, given trust for the very oracles of God that they would be preserved for us. That's astonishing. But it's only because they took it seriously. And they still do. And it really is remarkable that if you look over the, over you know the last two thousand years, that I mean that's what the Dead Sea Scrolls proved, that the Jews were so Fistuous. careful yeah. in keeping the texts. I mean the, even like variations um, happen sometimes, but the variations were so uh, almost irrelevant um, that it was like you know and, and and that's incredible, especially given the fact that um, you know the Hebrew a lot of times is very poetic and whatnot. We don't even always know exactly what it means. So how easy would it have been if you've been a you know a writer to be like, this is a little confusing. We're gonna change this word. We're gonna tweak this sentence. Take that part out. And that's not what happened. And and uh, and you know and, and almost as importantly to your point is that they kept it preserved. I mean, you've got a thousand years old, even older than that, entire Torahs. That's right. They were preserved. I mean, um, you know, you think we have copies of the Iliad or whatever else that are like 600 years after it was written because there are no, none that exist from when it was first written. It's like, you know, the, the Jews were very, very careful and they had to hand print them all. And you know, yeah, you were saying, sir. Uh, no, sorry, just that, uh, to, to that, that point that you were making before, the, the reading of the offerings in our prayers and kind of including them, it, it sort of makes me think of like, some of the, like I, I remember my grandfather talking about how, you know, Oh, you know, back in my day, we we would have had to go to the library to find out you know, information about something. But what was what's wise in statements like that is that the point usually was, in my day, we had to work really hard in order to get a piece of information, mm-hmm. or or work really hard for something, and that made us appreciate it a lot more. And so, even though our offerings, you know, we we read the offerings and stuff, it's important to remember that was actually done. Like, that took somebody a long time to oh, find goodness. the right animal and to get it checked out and to walk 
that you're over to the temple. I mean, it was a huge deal in order to do that. And so, then you might die. Yeah, and then, and then if you did anything wrong, you die. Yeah. Exactly. So it's no just pressure. it's a good <laughs> reminder too when we read the offerings and our prayers to, to remember like how much that work that they had to do back then really made that the most special moments with Hashem between them right. and Hashem and how much you know that we have it great you know that information is so readily available to us but that we don't want to take advantage of that that we we want to still pursue, pursue Hashem in a in a similar passion. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And you wanna and you wanna know. You want to study, you want to read. I think what Judah was reading earlier, the spices. Um, and uh, it was hard enough to read, much less, like, you had, I mean, it, it says at the end, it's like, and if he forgot any of them, he yeah. could die. Yeah. Cool. Um, so it's like this idea that, we were talking about this whole reading, that God is holy. It's kind of interesting. It's an interesting juxtaposition in this parasha, the, the first half being about the priesthood and the perfection and the holiness of the priesthood, and the second half is about the holidays. And it's almost as though you can... Judaism teaches this idea that things are next to each other on purpose. And the par- parashiot were creations of, the, of, this, of uh, Judaism, but they were on purpose. They weren't just like, this is a good place to break the chapter, we'll stop here. You know, sometimes it felt like, and no offense, because we appreciate ultimately the chapter breaks, sometimes it feels like some of the monk who came up with the chapter breaks sometimes thought, this, is, this feels like the end of a sentence, we can stop this one here. Because mm-hmm. it's like... Like you know, even in in, uh, in, um, in Judaism today, when you do your kiddish, they'll use the last verse of Genesis chapter one, but the first few verses of Genesis chapter two, because really they, they should go together. It's, it's one thought. But so, the, but the parshiot are, are more thought out than that. They're on purpose. So he's got on the one side the, the Judaism has on the one side this priesthood and all of this complication and holiness and specialness, and then the holidays. And the holidays are our own mini priesthood of sorts because the holiday the priesthood was holy and set apart for the people the holidays are holy and set apart from the other days of the year and these are the times we're going to meet with god and it's got to be perfect and it's got to be just so and there are certain things you can't eat and there are certain places you have to live and there are certain things you have to blow you know and all these different types of stuff and it has to be right and and to your point even even to the point of like the death element like like on yom kippur they're like you're out there working on yom kippur yeah you know some cases it's you're liable to the death penalty. Sometimes it's like, boom, you're gone. It's mm-hmm. over. Because this is holy. This is a day where you're going to meet with God. Why mm-hmm. would you make that mundane? Why would you Why would you ruin that by doing something else? And um, it's kind of like, uh, and it's, I think it's, it's so much like, like with spouses. I feel like that's a big piece of that. Like when you have um, a spouse, you want to honor them, make something important. That there's certain days of the year that are important. You know, and there's the stereotype of the guy, you can never remember the woman, the anniversary, if that has ever been you or could be you, find any way you can possibly can to memorize that date, burn it into your mind, make it your passwords, make it your, you know, the little thing. On, we don't even have those little locks on the on, on no, suitcases anymore, but you know what I'm saying. You know, whatever, whatever you got to do, uh, set alarms, because that's a day you want to honor your spouse on. Mm-hmm. And, and if you forget, trust me, they will know. So, I mean, that has not happened. Um, the point, though, is that, that but at the same time, it's not just a day to remember, it's also a day to honor. And, I mean, can you imagine if, you know, someone has a hol- an anniversary like that, and a hol- and they said, and one spouse says, so I just really, tonight is the best night for me to go have a guy's night. I'm going to go watch the football game with some friends, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll celebrate the anniversary another time. Yeah. What is that? That is not, that's an incredibly bad message. And I feel like the holidays of God are kind of the same way. It's like we can't look at it and say, um, you know, Yom Kippur this year is on a Tuesday. 
let's just push it to the weekend. I really can't do the Tuesday. Or, or worse, to say, be like, well, it's, I know it's Yom Kippur, and it's, it's Yom Kippur in my heart, and I don't, I don't need to actually keep any, any part of it. Um, I mean, imagine that, how that would fly over. Well, well, sweetie, it's, it's my, our anniversary in my heart. I thought about you today. Great. That wasn't exactly what I was hoping I it would, would happen. I sent you a text message. I know. It's like, or, yeah, I thought about sending you a text message. In fact, I thought about it multiple times. But now that, that, anyway, so I feel like if we would give that much honor and deference to humans, as, as incredibly important as they are, how much more so should we give that to our to our to God? I mean, my dad made a point. I felt like of always being there for a birthday. I don't know how he managed to do that in the airline <laughs> stuff, but somehow Christmas, not so much. Uh, everybody wants that day off. May six, not as popular. And my dad was, oh, I think he was there for like every single birthday I ever had as a kid growing up. Um, and looking back on it, that means something. And I think that that's, so I feel like if we make that effort for a child, or make that effort for family, how much more so for God? And so this, mm -hmm. how do we make that holy and set apart, like the priesthood is set apart? To that point about anniversaries and whatnot, the, the observation I've made in all of the people around me that have really never forgotten an anniversary and really go all out with their anniversaries, the, the common denominator is preparation. Everybody that does anniversaries really, really well, there's been like a month lead up to the anniversary itself with planning and discussions and excitement and build up. And of course you would never forget it with all of that right. preparation. And that's why I think it's so cool that with all of these festivals in Leviticus 23, Judaism has, sort of has a tradition to start studying about each of the festivals 30 days before Wait, it happens. That's right. And, and it's, it's a really cool thing, especially with Shavuot, because we're literally counting up to it. You know, so there's all this, this anticipation and excitement and preparation for that. But I think that's so cool, because then in that case... Number one, you're never going to forget it. But number two, you're going to enjoy it so much more because you've been anticipating and getting like excited. Shabbat. Exactly. Just like right. Shabbat. All throughout the week, you were talking about Shabbat. Can't wait for Shabbat. We're preparing for Shabbat. We're doing groceries, uh, getting groceries for Shabbat, all of this. And then Shabbat comes, and it's like an amazing it's day. Amazing. So that's, that's a great parallel. With, uh, with Pesach, we've got the four special Shabbats that come before it. Mm -hmm. With the you know the shekelim and zakor and uh, parah and, and all of those to 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 prep and make sure you've got your act together before we get to the to that point. We also right? have Purim about a month before. Exactly. Start so start out. kicks it off. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the Dudnik uh, uh, has got a little th thing about the festival of matzot to God, and it's interesting because. It's confusing to a lot of people that read the apostolic scriptures. You know, it says that the Passover of the Jews was at hand. It says that a lot. And it never really mentions the, the festival of unleavened bread. And uh, they say, uh, while the Torah refers to a festival of matzot to God, uh, this is in uh, verse 6 of chapter 23, um, the festival is more commonly referred to as Pesach or Passover. Uh, Rabbi Levi Yitzhak of Berdachev explained in the Torah itself, God referred to the festival with a name which highlights the greatness of the Jewish people, the festival of Matzot. For Matzot reminds us of how the Jewish people left Egypt, the most civilized country at the time, and headed into a desert with just a few unleavened cakes. The Jewish people, however, referred to the festival as Pesach, Passover, a name which highlights God's greatness, how he passed over the house of the Jewish people, 
despite their lowly spiritual state, and redeemed us from Egypt. We do. You know, and if, if you're reading through the scriptures and don't recognize that the feast of Passover, Passover is a moment in time. The feast of Passover is really the feast of unleavened bread. And you gotta, we're seven days. We, we had a little moment last night at our Shabbat table. It's like, you know, how do you know you're raising your kids Jewish? <laughs> because I asked the kids at the table, like, okay, so tell me, like, what is your favorite holiday? And I was thinking, Leviticus 23, of course, and the first thing that Zoe said was, Hanukkah. <laughs> and the reason that's cute is because Rabbi Daniel Appen actually has a fantastic audio study on how right here, after Leviticus 23, Leviticus 24 picks up with the menorah. And here's like the beginning of what is going to be someday Hanukkah and the celebration of Hanukkah. So he goes through all of this Hebrew and, and does all these uh, really interesting parallels to show that Hanukkah's right there with all the other ones. And so I thought, oh, that's really funny, Zoe. <laughs> like you don't even know how accurate you are. Yeah. That's so cute. Um, any final comments on the parsha? And then we'll just quickly touch the Haftar and then we'll read a Perkei vote. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I think I've mentioned before, I, I like this Gutnik um, version for a couple of reasons. Not only the extraordinary leather binding. The leather binding is really special. Um, but I really do like it because of the, uh, the way they enhance the text with the halakha, the, the, the text additions, which are always parenthetical, are added so that we would understand how they understand the translation with regards to the halakha. But the other reason is because at the end of every portion, before the next one begins, they give you this page that tells you how many positive and negative commands were in the one you just finished. Um, Amor has, I think, if not the most, one of the most number of commandments in it, of any other portion. There are 63 commands in this one portion. 24 positive commands and 39 negative commands. There's a lot. And everything from... Uh, To sprinkle the blood of blemished animals on the altar is prohibited. To uh, a non-priest should not eat the sacrificed uh, stuff, all the way to living in a sukkah. It's it's amazing. There's so many there. So I love it. It's cool. Good stuff. Very cool. Yes, the um, the the haftara. Of course, Judaism teaches that, or tradition holds the haftara as linked to the parasha. So the haftar for haftar in more, um, playing off those commandments about the priest and whatnot, is all these new commandments given to priests, um, specifically priests for the, uh, the, 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 third, the third temple that Ezekiel sees in his visions. And, um, and it's interesting because one of the things about Ezekiel that makes even Judaism a little bit uncomfortable is that some of the, the commandments involving the priesthood are slightly different from the Torah, which is a little, a little awkward, and there is a, there's a funny, uh, I'd say funny, enlightening tradition that says that there was one guy who understood the whole thing and how they all work together and why God did it, and, and, but unfortunately he, he didn't write it down and he's gone now, and we don't know. But the point is that like, there, 
um, there is a way to see it. One of the things I love about Rashi, um, uh, the Chabad website, you have a little little button you can press, and the Rashi commentary will pop up in the middle of the text. You've got Hebrew, you've got English, and you've got the commentary like buried in there. Um, one of the things I love about him is he, um, when he, he looks at these commandments and whatnot, and it doesn't phase him that there's differences, but instead he wants to try to find ways to have them to have them uh, parallel or mix, um, so that it's not like, and so he's not looking at it saying, well, this is a contradiction, but this is this is how it complements. Um, to which he, there, you know, there are times where some of this stuff he's reading through it, and he's like, oh, this reference looks like it's just talking to all the priests as they have this, you know, standard, but but actually specifically the Cohen, so that's why. Oh, right, of course, well, yeah, and it's the same, so it doesn't really make a difference. One, the one difference though in this particular portion that seems to get highlighted is there's no wool. They mentioned it makes a point about like not wearing a garment that sweats and um, the Rashi's and again another thing I love about Rashi is that even if he if he doesn't find a reason why to to iron out a what we would consider a quote unquote contradiction he then embraces it wholeheartedly like it doesn't bother him at all this is God's word it's irrelevant and so he just happens to point out um, and no wool shall be upon them. They shall not wear the blue wool that was in the robe and girdle on the Day of Atonement during the services of the inner court. And I thought it was interesting because um, it's like there was this, the special garments for the Day of Atonement um, would not be worn, in at least not in the, in, in the daily sacrifices. Of course, I guess they're not meant to be anyway, but it's like specifically they have to carve them out. But it's almost like the standard is somehow elevated, you know? So we were telling you earlier that the priesthood were already holy. Well, well Ezekiel's commandments... Um, aren't really, especially in talking about the priesthood, especially this, at least this half hour for sure, are not making it less restrictive on the priest. Right. If anything, it's more restrictive. Which, if you think about, one of the things I think we sometimes have to understand is that it, the, 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 the mitzvot are not always a, a, um, a moral right and wrong from a... Um, from a like a universal perspective, sometimes it is somewhat circumstantial, specific to the reason why it's right and wrong is because it's God and God's presence and holiness. So the reason why the priesthood have a different standard from the average person is they're serving God, right? So in this case, if you think about this third temple, this idea of Messiah's reign, literally everywhere is more holy. Uh, if you read the book of Zechariah, it says that the holy to the Lord, which is written on the crown of the of the high priest is on like the bells of the horses you know the pots in your home are as holy as the pots in the temple because everything is imbued with holiness because god has literally set up his kingdom on earth right. and um and so the idea then that there would be a, a higher standard for the priesthood serving at that time makes sense and i think it's funny because it's like rather than look at this and be like oh see we knew it um, I've heard people play games with this stuff. They're like, you know, Judaism teaches that Messiah comes and and like the uh, you know he'll he'll explain the Torah and, and 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 things will change. That's proof to us that when Messiah came two thousand years ago, he could do away with whether or not you eat pork. And it's like, no, that's really not what Judaism is getting at. Um, their point is to say that like as the holiness of the universe changes, um, some of these commandments that are intended to deal with a fallen and broken world get even more get it. strict get adjusted, and generally get more strict. Um, and I think that's really kind of funny because I think our society, we're constantly looking for ways to get out of making things holy. And Judaism's actually kind of almost like looking at how we can make it more holy. That's right. But even the priests, I mean, 
you've got to be a son of Levi to be a Levite. Right. You've got to be a son of Levi's son, Aaron. Right. To be a priest. Right. But here, in this one, when Messiah comes, just being a son of Aaron isn't good enough. Right. You've actually got to be a descendant of Aaron's descendant, Zadok. Right. In order to be a priest in this one. Right. It's Absolutely. just that much more holy, that much more restricted. And I love that, like, you know, so it, it, we, in, the, in the Leviticus 1, we saw that you can't shave certain parts. And that's true for the normal Jews as, or Israelites as well, but then especially for the priesthood. Well, Ezekiel's get in there and like, we can't let it grow too long. You know, that's got to be balanced. You have to be, you have to be clean, you know, shaven and, and, and clean cuts and whatever else. And um, I, I've just got to elevate uh, the man sitting in the back here. I have never, I very rarely see a beard that long and thick that's that well kept. So we, I really appreciate that. Uh, and it's funny because if you look at, uh, there was a thing going around maybe 10 years ago where um, all of a sudden beards went from being kind of faux pas in uh, our, sign of rebellion. Our, yeah, well, yeah, they went, they went on, all the, the transition even in the world of fashion. So fashion used to be everything's clean, you know, they get no hair, right? Um, if they could pluck the eyebrows, they probably would have, you know, it's like everything has to be clean. Well, then all of a sudden, for a little stretch there, like, the beards were totally in. Um, and for men. For men. I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but they were, but the, the thing that was important was they were always well kept. No one's scraggly. No one's right, got stuff. Right. Even the ones who were doing the "I forgot to shave this morning" look it was still a perfect, like an alignment and exactly where it needs to be on the neck. And you know, it's really so. It's it's kind of the same idea here. It's like God's standard is such. It's like I don't want you to look like a slob. And since I'm here, I mean, literally, God is here on Earth. It's like we got to make extra careful. So that yeah. the, the, like they're going back and forth. What does it really mean? How long is too long? And well, at the very end, it's, it's in the middle. It's got to at least be in the middle. Can't you know? Anyway, so I think that was the torso. Oh, yeah, right. No, I think it, it's definitely closer, closer yeah, to the head than that. I've actually seen a couple guys walking around uptown in like a full suit, pocket square, and everything with just like giant beards. And I think, someday when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of well kept. Yeah. That's the point. Um, the only other thing I was going to throw in real quick, um, in this portion as well, it, it brings out the, um, the challah has been taken. So if you look in uh, verse 30, it says the first, the things that go to the priest. First of all, the first fruits and every heave offering, everything from every sort of your heave offering shall belong to the priest. Also the first out of your kneading troughs shall you give to the priest to bring enduring blessing into your home. This is a this has come from the Torah, this idea you take a little bread when you're making a loaf of bread. But even today in Judaism traditionally, when you make challah at home, you pluck off a little piece and you burn it. Um, right. Is it burn it, right? You burn yeah, it. Burn. Yeah. Um, because it is a remembrance that we used to give this as an offering. And I think it's really cool that it says specifically to bring enduring blessing into your home. And um, as they look at the, the word there, I thought this was really cool. Rashi pulls this out. The word there is lenyak, uh, and it's and it's it came from the same name as Noah, the same root, uh, and it literally has to do with rest. So it's like and to cause blessing to rest in your home, and and given that that is something that really is, is done by by the ladies in our lives who are making kala, um, uh, it's a really an awesome opportunity for them to bless their own homes Amen. by by keeping this mitzvah. So. Uh, any final comments? 
Parsha, Haftarah. Okay, so if you have your Siddur, um, or want to grab one. Uh, Joshua, the, uh, the blessing for the uh, counting of the Yom is not just the day, like today is the 32nd day, but then we repeat it and bust it into weeks and days. Right. And the week that we announce in the blessing is the week that we study here. Because during the first week, you're in the week of Pesach, and we don't study that because we study right. Pesach. Right. So once we say it's week, it's one week and one day, that's when you study week one. one. Now we're in four weeks and four days. So we're on week four. Four. Thank you. So it, it helps you remember which one we're studying. As you, 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 as you. Table of contents here. I know it's towards the back. It's kind of mixed in with Minka for Shabbat. Okay, there we go. Oh, more Dina. Great. Yes, and then of course if you go to chapter four, five sixty-five. It's five sixty-seven or five sixty-five. In mine, it may vary from 553 in the ladies' sitter. Um, it's Mrs. somewhere in the Minka for Shabbat section. Mrs. Spurlock, I just am compelled to tell you that your youngest son has just grown up <laughs> so wonderfully since I first met him and watched him go through childish, young men type things. And Judah. It's tough to impress me, but you have. Well done. Thank you. And just, I'm pleased. I'm pleased. Good job. So, um, in chapter four, uh, I thought what we did last time worked really well. Just kind of go around the room and, and read some. Um, I don't know if there's quite enough. There are, yeah, there should be about this, enough. Be this is a, This is a nice, lengthy one, so we should all at least, at least get one. Uh, if you don't want to read, you don't have to, but... Um, just kind of pass along to the next person, but um, I'll just get get it started here and read the intro. So every every if you're not familiar with Perkei Avot, every single one begins at the beginning uh, regarding uh, and all Israel has a share in the world to come. If that makes you uncomfortable. Go back and reread the Book of Romans, particularly mm -hmm. chapter 11 or Isaiah 60, um, and you'll find that uh, regardless of however you translate that, the point is somehow that's true. <laughs> all Israel has a share in the world to come, as it is said, and your people are all righteous. And they shall inherit the land forever. They are the branch of my planting, my handiwork in which to take pride. I mean, good, good, good. The first one? Yes, the first oh, one. Oh, I was just whispering to Morgan that this is my all-time favorite quote out of the entire Pier Camp. Wow. Thank you. Ben Zoma says, Who is wise? He who learns from every person. As it is said, from all my teachers I grew wise. Who is strong? He who subdues his personal inclination. As it is said, he who is slow to anger is better than the strong man, and a master of his passions is better than a conqueror of a city. Who is rich? He who is happy with his lot. As it said, when you eat of the labor of your hands, you are praiseworthy, and all is well with you. You are praiseworthy in this world, and all is well with you in the world to come. Who is honored? He who honors others. As it is said, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who scorn me shall be degraded. Ben Azai says, 
run to perform even a minor mitzvah and flee from sin. For one mitzvah leads to another mitzvah, and one sin leads to another sin. For the consequence of a mitzvah is a mitzvah, and the consequence of a sin is a sin. Mm. He used to say, don't regard anyone with contempt, and don't reject anything. For there is no man who does not have his hour, and no thing that does not have its place. <laughs> Every dog has his day. That's right. Begin with the couch, and then go in the right around the back. Rabbi Levitas of Yavne says, Be exceedingly humble in spirit, for the anticipated end of mortal man is worms. Mm-hmm. Oh. Rabbi Yochadon bin Baraka says, Whoever desecrates the name of heaven is sacred. They will exact punishment from him in public. Unintentional or intentional, both are alike regarding desecration of the name. Mm. It's just like Yeshua talks about being on the rooftop. If you say it in secret, it will be shouted from the rooftop. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Yishmael ben Bar, ben Bar Rabbi Yosef says, One who studies Torah in order to teach is given the means to study and to teach. And the one who studies in order to practice is given the means to study and to teach, to observe and to practice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Rabbi Zadok says, Do not separate yourself from the community when serving as a judge. Right. When serving as a judge, do not act as a lawyer. Do not make the Torah a crown for self glorification, nor a spade with which to dig. So too, Halal used to say, He who exploits the crown of Torah for personal, personal benefit will shall take away. For this, he, for this, he deprives that whoever seeks personal benefit from the land of Torah to promote his rights in the world. Rabbi Yosef says, Whoever honors the Torah is himself honored by people, and whoever disgraces the Torah is himself disgraced by people. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Yishmael, his son, says, One who withdraws from judgment removes from himself hatred, robbery, and the responsibility for an unnecessary oath. The one who is too self-confident in handing down legal decisions is a fool, wicked, and arrogant of spirit. Mm-hmm. He used to say, Do not act as judge alone for none, for none judges of for none judges alone except one and do not say except one do for they are permitted to but not you. Rabbi Yonatan says whoever fulfills the Torah despite poverty will ultimately fulfill it in wealth, but whoever neglects the Torah because of wealth will ultimately neglect it in property. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Mir said, reduce your business activities and engage in Torah study. Be of humble spirit before every person. If you if you should neglect the study of Torah, you will come upon many excuses to neglect it, but if you labor in the Torah, God has ample reward to give you. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says, He who fulfills even a single mitzvah gains himself a single advocate, and he who commits even a single transgression gains himself a single accuser. Repentance and good deeds are like a shield against wretchedness. Mm. Rabbi Yochanan the Sandler said, Every assembly that is dedicated to the sake of heaven will have an enduring effect. The one that is not for the sake of heaven will not have an enduring effect. Rabbi Elazar ben Shumuma said, Let the honor of your student be as dear to you as your own, the honor of your colleague as the reverence for your teacher, and the reverence of, for your teacher as the reverence of heaven. Mm. Rabbi Yehuda says, Be meticulous in study, for a careless misinterpretation is considered tantamount to willful transgression. Mm. I'm 
saw a little commentary here that said, humble by nature. A righteous and humble man once said, how great is God's kindness that he commanded us to be humble. What would we possibly do had he commanded us to be arrogant? <laughs> <laughs> Rabbi Shimon said, there are three crowns, the crown of Torah, the crown of priesthood, the crown of kingship, but the crown of a good name surpasses them all. Rabbi Nehorai says, exile yourself to a place of Torah and do not assume that it will come after you, for it is your colleagues who will cause it to remain with you, mm. and do not rely on your own understanding. Rabbi Yana says, it is not in our power to explain either the tranquility of the wicked or the suffering of the righteous. <laughs> Rabbi Masyah ben Krash says, Initiate a greeting to every person and be a tall to lion, tail to lions rather than a head to foxes. <laughs> Rabbi Yaakov says, This world is like a corridor, corridor before the world to come. Prepare yourself in the corridor so that you may enter favorably. That is words to live by. He used to say, Better one hour of repentance and good deeds in this world than the entire life of the world to come, and better one hour of spiritual bliss in the world to come than the entire life of this world. Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar says, Do not appease your fellow in the time of his anger. Do not console him while his dead lies before him. Do not question him about his vow at the time he makes it. Do not attempt to see him at the time of his degradation. That is some of the most practical advice <laughs> that anyone can give you about being careful when to say or do things. Good, mm -hmm. Shmuel HaKitan says, When your enemy falls, do not be joyous. Be not mad, and when he stumbles, let your heart not be joyous. Lest that I may see and if displease him, then he turns back from you and right to you. Aisha ben Abiyah says, One who studies Torah as a child, to what can he be likened? To ink written on fresh paper, and one who studies Torah as an old man, to what can he be likened? To ink written on smudged paper. Rabbi Yossi Bar Yehuda of Kfar Habakli says, One who learns Torah from the young, to what can he be likened? To one who eats unripe grapes or drinks unfermented wine from his vat. But one who learns Torah from the old, to what can he be likened? To one who eats ripe grapes or drinks aged wine. I gotta, I gotta think of the master and that whole new skin, old skin, wine that's skin thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about this one too. Yeah. Rabbi Meir says, do not look at the vessel, but what is in it. There is a new vessel filled with old wine and an old vessel that does not even contain new wine. Mm. Rabbi Elazar Hakapar says, jealousy, lust, and glory remove a man from the world. He used to say, the newborn will die, the dead will live again, the living will be judged, in order that they know, teach, and become aware that he is God. He is the fashioner, he is the creator, he is the discerner, he is the judge, he is the witness, he is the plaintiff, he will judge. Blessed is he before whom there is no iniquity, no forgetfulness, no favoritism, and no acceptance of bribery, for everything is his. Know that everything is according to the reckoning, and let, none, and let not your evil inclination promise you that the grave will be an escape for you. For against your will you were created, against your will you were born, against your will you live, against your will you will die, and against your will you are destined to give an account before the king who rules over kings, the Holy One, blessed is he. Amen. Go ahead, Morgan. 
Rabbi Kanmir ben Akashia says, The Holy One, blessed is he, wished to confer merit upon Israel. Therefore he gave them Torah and mitzvot abundance, as it is said, Adonai desired for the sake of Israel's righteousness that the Torah be made great and glorious. Amen. I think, I hope as you read through that, and as you look at the one, more weeks here, the, um, to keep seeing the master's words uh, and, and parables that he sold, like we were saying before, I, I find that like oftentimes there's this insistence for some ridiculous reason that Yeshua is not very compatible with uh, Judaism, but actually it seems more likely that he fits in so perfectly, or rather maybe they fit into him, um, with so much of their of their practical teachings and, and also some of their halakhic positions, um, and almost like they, they were reading up on what he had said. All righty. I think that um, basically concludes us here. Mr. Mark, would you close us in prayer real quick? Absolutely. Thank you, Father, for our time together today. We pray, Father, as we uh, go forward this week, we would uh, live in a manner that uh, that pleases you. We pray all these things in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen. 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 Thank you all. Thank you. This, we are out walking the ground.